back in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. So turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to be continuing on in this series. Uh, we just have four more, pa- four more chapters after this left. So we're looking forward to seeing what, what God would have for us. And, and today... Um, We're going to have communion at the end of the service, just to give you a heads up. We're going to be participating in communion together. I can't think of a better way to begin the new year. So let's go ahead and read God's word. This is his holy, inspired word for us today. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this way? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every portion of your word that it was written for our good, for us to learn about you, to learn about ourselves, to apply your words to our life so that we might be more like you, so that we might, Lord, grow in you. And I pray that you would help us discern the body. I pray that you would help us discern the body through this passage. I pray that you would help us learn how to apply the gift, the grace of communion to our own lives and to how we relate to others in the church. God, we need your help. God, this is the first Sunday of the new year. Lord, many of us are aware of all the difficulties of the past year. We're aware of the challenges that await us. We are aware of our weaknesses and limitations. God, I pray that you would just help us all set those things aside. Shall we help us receive of your grace? That you would give us your Holy Spirit today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in 2011, I was reading a story of how a fight broke out in church. Uh, This is not a, 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 a virtual fight. This is a physical fight broke out in a church in Memphis. I won't give the name of the church. 
but it was in the middle of their communion service. Um, I, I can't imagine that happening. I thank God that it's not happened. But this fight, it broke out right in the middle of communion. The police had to intervene to stop the fight. Charges were pressed. According to news accounts, the police documented that, that two women, they had started arguing inside the building during communion when family and friends had to intervene. And then reportedly somebody hit another person with an umbrella in the face. And then it turned into a brawl. Police observed some members with swollen, bloodshot eyes, cuts on their necks and chest, and, and other injuries. I'm grateful that we've never had that happen. But it's not impossible. And fights like that break out in churches, if not physical fist fights, all kinds of division and fights occur in churches all over the place. And it's not a new thing. In Paul's day, he was addressing that there was divisions in the church in Corinth. I don't think it had gotten to fistfights, but there were divisions among them, and it really it profaned the name of Christ. It said something wrong about the body of Christ. I'm grateful that that kind of division doesn't exist in our church. And actually, as I was thinking about this passage, it was hard to prepare for because I was aware that, that you all exemplify the opposite. I'm grateful that this is a church that's not divided, that is not after each other, that's not hitting each other either virtually or physically. I'm grateful that you love each other, that that is the mark of this body is a mutual affection and care for each other. We don't do it perfectly by any means, but there's a desire and a pursuit of loving one another. And that's, that's a sign, an evidence of, of God's grace in, in your own lives and an evidence of the fact that you're trying to give God's grace to each other. So, so thank you for being that church. But I don't want to take that for granted. I don't want to assume that that exists forever because um, the, the Bible makes us aware of the fact that division is a very imminent threat to the church and to the witness of the church. It's a joy to pastor you as a church, but I can't imagine if I had to pastor the church in Corinth. It's easy for the church to be like the world around us if we're not careful, and we need to be constantly on guard that, that we don't allow these subtle ideas to drift in like the church in Corinth. That you see, the church in Corinth, they had allowed the culture around them to define how they related to each other instead of being defined by the body of Christ that they were given really through the gift of communion. We face the same kinds of temptation that the church in Corinth faces, even though we don't have rampant division. You know, those thoughts can pop into our own heads of looking at people in ways, judging people in ways, evaluating people in ways that are more like the world than they are like the body of Christ. You see, the church was tempted to divide over cultural differences. They were tempted to divide over the distinctions that the culture had made around them. They're tempted to divide between rich and poor, between different classes, their background, their education, their status, their position. And I don't think we're immune to that, to those temptations. We can be tempted to all, all the same kinds of things. And, and I want you to, to help to discern our own hearts. I want to ask us a few questions, really, to, to help think through, hey, is this, is this, are there any areas where I am tempted here, and how can I ensure that I love like I've been loved? You know, the question I was thinking through is, you know, could you be friends? Don't answer this one out loud. Could you be friends with someone else who votes differently than you? Can you love others in the body of Christ if, 
if they have a bumper sticker of the opposing political party on the back of their car? Could you be friends or are you friends with those who are a different social class than you? People who are poor if you're rich or rich if you're poor. Or do you struggle Do you struggle with judging others on the basis of where they come from or their background or the, the house they have or the car they drive? You know, do you secretly judge if you're rich? Do you judge the poor as being either lazy or unintelligent? Or if you don't have money, do you judge the rich as being either greedy or crooked or stingy? Are you tempted in those ways? We need to evaluate our own hearts because I think all of us are tempted that way. Um, when we all have different preferences or practices, are we tempted to evaluate people differently and divide over those things? Are you drawn to people who look more like you? Are you drawn to people who come from the background that you come from? Are you drawn to people who dress like you? who talk like you, or maybe have an accent like you, who come from a part of the country like you. It's easy for the attitudes of the world to creep into our thinking, isn't it? It's easy to not be on guard. And, and, and God, through the Apostle Paul, gave us this passage so that we can be on guard so that we don't end up like the church in Corinth. I'm grateful that, that you are a gospel-united church. Let's remain that way. Let's strive to say, okay, let's weed out any of those areas in our own hearts that would tempt us to divide. And what happened in the church in Corinth is they allowed this division to creep in, and that's what we see in the, in the verses 17 to 21. Paul's correcting them for something. He's correcting them for the fact that, that of this distortion of communion. It was the distortion of communion divided. They were having communion, but they were divided in their communion meal. Now, in that day, they actually would have a meal together. They would sit down and have a meal. They would probably break bread at the beginning. They would have a meal, and at the end of that time, they would, they would share the cup of communion together. But really, what they were doing is they were distorting. They were distorting their communion by, by being divided in the midst of a time when they were supposed to be united. This, this divided community, this complete distortion of what it was meant to be in the first place. And I was, I was thinking through, uh, I saw a picture of, uh, I think it was called Guernica, uh, a, a portrait that, a picture that the artist Picasso had made. Have you ever seen that? It's, it's this really distorted view of things. I'm not going to put it up because it was a little graphic for the audience this morning, but it, it's a distorted view. And Picasso, would he paint like two eyes on the side of one head and, and there are different portions of like arms and legs scattered all over the picture and, and different body parts everywhere. And it's a really distorted picture and it was actually meant that way because it was meant to show the distortion that war causes. And that's what had happened Italy in, in the church. They were presenting a distorted view of the body of Christ by being divided in the middle of their communion service. And it was really presenting a distorted view of what the body is really meant to be. It's not who we are. It's not who we're meant to be as the body of Christ. Paul was, at the beginning of the chapter, he was commending them for remembering the traditions that he had taught them. And now he's saying, I don't commend you now at all. I don't praise you at all because what you're doing is not a reflection of what's been given to you. So he says, I don't commend you at all when you come together because it's not for the better, but for the worse. Could you imagine going to a church where you're like, you know, that was not only not a great sermon, not a great message, but I feel worse off now. That's not why most of us come to church. Most of us come to church to be edified, to be encouraged, to, to be uplifted, have our, our gaze pointed to Christ. And what was happening in this church was that they were going away far worse. They were going away hating each other, being divided. Paul's like, when you gather, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. 
They were separated into different factions or cliques. Instead of reflecting the truth of the gospel, they had forgotten something. Let us never forget, really, the truth of what communion is meant to show us, that, that Jesus has torn down the dividing walls that once separated us. You know, I want you to take a second, just look around. Look around at everybody else in the room, just for a moment. Look around. Look, turn your heads all the way around. Take a look behind you. Look beside you. We all look different. There's different ages. There's different socioeconomic backgrounds. There's different levels of education. There's, there's all kinds of differences in the church. And here's the beauty of the body of Christ. Jesus has called people from every walk of life, from, from every kind of background. He's called them together in himself to tear down those things that would normally separate us. You know, a lot of us don't have the same kinds of interests. Different people here like sports. Some people hate to watch sports. Is, I, did I hear go dogs or something like that, I think? Is that... Is that uh... <clears throat> I can't agree with that. So, in Christ, he has broken down all of those superficial differences that the world differentiates around. Everything from black or white or Jew or Greek or slave or free or Chinese or Russian or South American or North American or European or African, East Coast, West Coast, Midwestern, however you think of yourself, Northern or Southern, rich or poor, the beauty of the gospel is that in Christ we are all made one in him. Christ has united us all to himself and to God through him. And, and what the church in Corinth was doing was they were acting like that had not happened. And Paul said, you're doing far more harm. It's much worse that you get together. And he tells them in verse 18, when you get together as a church, I hear the divisions among you. And he says, I believe those in part. He got reports from Chloe's household, and, and so he said, I believe that's true, at least in part. Then he says, well, there has to be some kind of divisions among you, and he's, I don't think he's being trying to encourage that. What he's saying is that, you know what, you're revealing through your actions who are truly followers of Christ and who are not. And so there has to be those kinds of divisions, there has to be that kind of division, but you're actually demonstrating that in how you're gathering. Because he said, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. If it was the Lord's Supper, you would reflect unity in the body. It's meant to remind us of who we are, not just individually, but as believers united together in him. There is something that happens when we receive the gift of communion that actually it's, it's meant to not just point our eyes to Christ. It's meant to point our eyes to his body around us. It's meant to be a mutual sharing together of the body of Christ and what they were doing is they were eating their own meals. You know, it's not like the American potluck that we have. Sometimes we have potlucks here at church and hopefully resume that sometime in the, in the coming year. It's a great time to share in fellowship, to, to bring things together, to share with each other. But that's not what they were doing at church in Corinth. They were actually mimicking the culture around them. When rich people would come and they would bring their own food to a meal and the poor would come and bring their own food to a meal and then they would eat separately and then what it's saying is they were gorging on their own meals and others were going hungry. Instead of being a mutual sharing, they were snubbing each other and they were making each other jealous. This, this communion meal was supposed to be together, probably was, was separated by physical differences as well. 
They probably came together in a large household at the time. And, and so the, that what they would do is they had this area that they would separate into in the dining room. That a lot of people would eat in the atrium outside with their overflow. But, but often what the society around them would do is they would separate so that the haves would eat in the nice place and the have-nots would eat outside. That's probably what was happening here, that kind of division. Instead of reflecting the fact that they were all made one in the body of Christ. David Garland talks about it. He says, it's not the Lord's dinner because the Lord's dinner is intended to convey to every participant that he or she is somebody precious to God. The Corinthians meal communicated to some that they were worthless nobodies. It was tainted by the deadly combination of indulgence and indifference. The selfish devouring of their own food contrasts with Jesus taking bread. Both take Corinthians take on their own behalf. Jesus takes on behalf of others. The Corinthians act selfishly. Jesus acts unselfishly in giving his life for others. The Corinthians' actions lead to their condemnation. Jesus' actions lead to the salvation of others. When, when we gather together as a church, it's, it's meant to convey the fact that Jesus has given us Everything. We receive the gift of communion. We're invited to share that gift of communion with our fellow members of the body of Christ. And he says, you know, that's not happening in the church in Corinth. He says in verse 21, each was eating, one was going ahead with his own meal, one was going hungry, other people were getting drunk. The kind of behavior was common in the culture around them. They would often separate like that. There was a, as a man named Marcus Marshall. He wrote an epigram complaining about this kind of behavior in the community in that day. He says, since I'm asked to dinner, he says, no longer as before a purchase guest, why is not the same dinner served to me as to you? You take oysters fattened in the Lucrina Lake, I suck a mussel through a hole in the shell. You get mushrooms, I take hog funguses. You tackle turbo, whatever that is, but I brill. Golden with fat, a turtle dove gorges you with its bloated rump. There is set before me a magpie that has died in its cage. Why do I dine without you, although, Ponticus, I am dining with you? You see, the culture around them reflected division. That's not what the church is meant to reflect. That's not what the church is meant to show. The church, when we gather together to, to share in the communion that we receive together, we're meant to reflect the fact that Jesus has crossed every boundary to reach us. He's crossed the great divide. He, is, he has come down to become human. He has bridged the greatest divide ever to seek and to save us. But the church had let the ways of the culture creep into their thinking. When they got together as a church, they weren't caring for each other. Instead, they were behaving selfishly. They were not considering the needs of each other. They were coming thinking of themselves alone. And you know what it's easy to do? It's easy to come into the church thinking of yourself. Often... When I come to church as a participant, I can be tempted just to be aware of my own desires, aware of my own needs, aware of myself, and not come remembering the body, not come with an awareness of how has God called me to this local body? How has God called me to love someone else in this local body? Would God give me a word of encouragement for someone else? How can I be on the lookout for people who need encouragement? Can I, can I look to greet other people? Can I look to reach out to other people? How can I look to be a means of God's grace to other people because of the grace I've received? And that kind of selfish thinking can really easily creep into our mindset, can it? I don't know about for you, but coming into church, we can often be aware of 
our feelings, our responses, whether we're enjoying the music or not, what we're getting out of things, instead of saying, Lord, how can I be a means of grace because of the means of grace that you've given me? Their fellowship meals, they weren't cultivating fellowship at all. Instead, they were cultivating division. They looked more like the world than Christ's body. And so Paul, he, he has some harsh words. He goes, what? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Like, can't you get full at home? And then when you bring food, can't you share it with each other? He says, or do you despise? Look in verse 22. Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? How they were interacting with each other was a despising of the church, of the unity of the body. He says, I won't commend you. It was humiliating. It was embarrassing. He doesn't just correct them. He says, they're despising the body. They're despising the church of God. It's antithetical to what the Lord had given and what the Lord's Supper is supposed to represent and symbolize, that the ground at the foot of the cross is completely level. We don't come here because we're inherently better than someone else. We come because we've all been made better in Christ. So he says, you know, how can a Christian celebrate cross work in a way that snubs fellow Christians? So some questions for us. How have you let the ideas of the world creep into the way that you view others in the body? Has there been any ways that you've let the ways of the world creep into how you view each other in the body through filters of the world? Is there any way we have a distorted view of fellow members in the body? Any way we've allowed division in our minds to, to creep into the way we think of other people? Maybe there's differences or things or practices that you don't like. Have we allowed those things to be first and foremost when we relate to other people in the body? If so, how can we pursue being more like the body of Christ, more like the different parts that he has made together as one in him? Well, they sent the opposite message of the Lord's Supper, but Paul reminds them of the gift of communion granted to them. He reminds them of the gift of communion that was granted to them. The gift that communion is. Now, this isn't a treatise on communion. Paul was not writing this. Now, sometimes you can just skip ahead to this passage, this part of communion, and saying this is what communion is all about, and that is what communion is about. It's about the fact that Jesus broke bread, that he gave the cup. But it's in the context of sandwich on either side of, of these community difficulties. There was division in the church. You see that in the beginning. There's division in the church, and they're divided in communion. And then he says, well, remember what communion is all about. And then at the end of the passage, he says, now, look, I don't want you to be divided this way. Remember what communion is about and apply that to how you relate to other people because you've been given a gift of communion. He says, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. The, the Lord's Supper is, is not merely, merely meant to be symbolic alone. It's, it's full of meaning. Yes, it is symbolic, but it's also meant to affect how we live and how we relate to other people. When Jesus took the bread and he gave it to them, it symbolized something real. It symbolized him giving of himself for them. It symbolized the fact that they all together were eating of him. That together they were made one in his body. It was also symbolizing the fact that when he was beaten, he was whipped, he was bruised, he was pierced. He was nailed to the cross. It was all for our sake and in our place. 
His body was given for us. It's, it's why and how we have new life. And, and that new life is a shared life together in him. We're not just saved as individual parts. We're saved as the members of his body together. That should affect how we view each other. That should affect how we relate to each other. Our, our sins were placed on Jesus. He suffered. He bled. He died for each and every one here who has placed their faith in him. He took the punishment that our sins deserve. And not only that, by faith, we, we die to our old selves, and now we live in Christ. And that's what we all are professing. That's what unites us. It's not our political parties. It's not our backgrounds. It's not the things we like to do. We're united in him, in this common profession of faith. Under the old covenant, there were all kinds of blessings for keeping the covenant. But there were also curses if God's people disobeyed the covenant. If you've ever read through the Old Testament, you can see both happening. And yet all throughout the Old Testament, never was there a time when God's people were able to completely keep his covenant and be faithful. The Old Testament really is a story of the people's continuous unfaithfulness, of their continuous breaking of the covenant. And this, this cry, really, of will there ever come one who can keep the covenant? Their covenant required the obedience of God's people. It required regular sacrifices to atone for the breaking of the covenant. And every covenant between God and man was broken. Time after time, mankind proved that we can't rely on our own ability to remain faithful to God on our own. All of us in our own lives, we've proven that we aren't faithful. We aren't able to remain faithful to God on our own. All of us have failed God to love God with our hearts, our minds, and our souls. All of us have failed to love our neighbors or ourselves. We need a new and better covenant. None of us can be as good and faithful as we should be on our own. None of us uh, earn enough favor before God to be accepted by God on our own. None of us were covenant keepers. We needed a new covenant. And Paul reminds them, here is the confidence that we have. We've been given a new covenant. A covenant that doesn't depend on our ability to keep it. A covenant that doesn't depend on our worth and our merit or our value. So stop living that way is what he's telling the church in Corinth. You're living as if your merit is what's important. Your value is what's important. Your wealth is important. Your status is important. But he wants to see, no, we actually need, we received a new covenant because there was no other way for us to be brought into union with Christ. And Jesus holds out his new covenant for us. It's sealed and it's guaranteed by his blood. When he offers us the cup of communion, he offers us a new covenant, a new agreement that's based on his faithfulness, that's based on his ability to keep, his ability to be completely faithful before God, completely obedient before God in every way. And the covenant is also based on the fact that Jesus took all the punishment for breaking the covenant that we deserve. And so Paul's reminding him of this. He's saying the basis of your confidence, the basis for why you're even here, the basis for being a believer is the fact that you've received a covenant, a new kind of covenant, and our faith, our trust, our hope is in Christ alone, not in any of our own abilities. And he says that often you eat the drink and eat the bread and, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we're proclaiming is our hope is not in all the things that the world hopes in. Our hope is in Christ alone. The fact that his body has been 
given for us, that his blood has been shed for us. Communion was given so you might receive grace from God. And so he doesn't just write to them and tell them the distortion of communion and the gift of communion, but he also says about the means of grace of communion. He talks about the grace of communion that's been given to us. The grace that we're meant to apply to each other, to our own lives in communion. And then he, he, he says it in a way that's a little bit shocking for us. He says, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. There is a warning here, but in the warning, he desires for the church to actually receive God's grace and to give God's grace, to not, not respond, to not receive communion in an unworthy manner. Now, in, in this context, in an unworthy manner, it doesn't mean being introspective or somehow that we can earn all the worth or favor that we need to, that, that we earn the worth of communion, that we are worthy enough to receive the grace of communion. No, what he's saying is that I don't want you to do this in an unworthy manner, meaning I don't want you to treat each other divisively. I don't want you to relate to each other as if you are not unified. And that's an unworthy way to gather together in communion is a selfish way. If we approach it casually, not discerning the body. And here I think the body is not just talking about the body of Christ, but also the church body. Not discerning that he's made us a part of a church body. So in an unworthy manner, we'd be acting as if you are not a part of the body. An unworthy manner would be allowing division and disunity to grow. Is an unworthy manner of approaching communion. In their context, it looked like marginalizing the poor. But it could look like anything that fosters disunity in the body when you're claiming to be a part of his body. Is there any way that if you can think of this morning that you are fostering disunity in the body, any way that you're allowing division to creep in? He says, don't, I don't want you to do this in an unworthy manner. He says, let a person examine himself then. Examine our thoughts. Examine our attitude. Examine how we view each other. Examine how we're relating to each other. Examine, is there any division amongst us? If so, let's not participate in communion and let that pass until we're able to be resolved and reconciled with the other person in the body. Let's examine ourselves and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He says in verse 29, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. There's two ways that they weren't discerning the body. They weren't discerning the implications of what the body of the Lord giving for them had accomplished. You see, God's, God had given us Christ's body for us to draw us together in him, to make us one in him. And they weren't discerning that, that it wasn't just given so that they could personally benefit. It was given to make them a part of himself and a part of his people. They also weren't discerning the body of Christ in the sense of their fellow believers, their fellow church members around them. They're relating to each other as if they were better than each other, not as equals. They were serving themselves first. And, and to act like the Lord's Supper didn't remove all the barriers between us and level us all at the foot of the cross is to show that we don't believe and really trust in the cross and instead, we're following the conventions of the world. And Paul says, don't behave that way. I want you to receive grace through communion instead. And then he, and he tells them something else here that's, that's shocking that in our world today, we don't like to address. And look in verse 30. He says, that's why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. There are physical implications to 
spiritual division to disunity in the body. That's not always the case. It's not saying that every time somebody's sick or ill or every time someone dies that this means there was sin. But he's saying that, hey, there, there can be causes of this. This can be the discipline of the Lord to get you to see the seriousness of disunity in the body of Christ. But he says if we judge ourselves truly, we won't be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so we may not be condemned. We, he wants us to receive God's grace. That's what communion is meant to be. It's meant to be a means of receiving the grace of God. Communion is a gift that we're meant to receive and then we're meant to apply to the body. So this morning, I want the ushers to go ahead and come forward and, and we'll pass out the elements if we can. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, if you've trusted in him for new life, if you're trusting in the fact that you could earn no merit before God, and yet Jesus has earned all the merit that you need. If you're trusting in that, we invite you to participate together with us. If, if you've not yet placed your faith in Christ, just go ahead and let them pass. Nobody's going to judge you. If you're in disunity with someone else here in the church body, let the, pa- the cup pass. There's no judgment for that. It means you're trying to obey the Lord. That's a good thing. But communion is a gift that we're meant to receive, and it's meant to affect how we view other people in the body. And it's meant to be a means of grace by which he actually enhances the unity of the body, too. All of us receive from the same bread. All of us are trusting in the same body broken for us. Our faith is not in our merit, and so let's set aside any merit we have, any confidence on our own. And let's have every confidence because Christ's body was given for us, that all of his merit was given to us, that he perfectly obeyed God in every way. And so let's set aside any temptations to division in our own heads, any, any sources of division that Sometimes it can creep into us where we can compare ourselves, thinking that we're better than each other on the basis of our education, our background, on the basis of where we came from, on the basis of how hard we work. And communion instead is meant to be a setting aside of all those things and saying, my confidence has nothing to do with those things. What I'm declaring is that my confidence is in Christ alone and his body broken for us together. So let's eat the bread together. We all together share in communing and eating the body of Christ. We don't do that literally. But we do that by faith, putting our faith in his body given to us, for us. And then something happens when, when we put our faith in Christ, when he rescues us, when he makes us a part of himself, we are all a part of himself. So that how we relate to each other now should be based on this common ground that we all have. Then not only that, our, our basis for relating to each other is not in how hard we work or 
or even our sacrifice or whether we're able to pay the penalty for our sins, our basis for relating to Jesus is the fact that he's paid for all of our sins. He's washed all of our sins away. If you're aware this morning of, of any areas of failure over the past year or maybe today, our hope is that this cup reminds us of what really has transpired and, and what we do every time we confess our sins, he makes us clean. We appropriate his cleansing blood each and every time. So let's drink the cup together, appropriating again his forgiveness for all of our failures, for all of our sins, all of our weaknesses, reminding ourselves that, that he bled for us. Let's drink together. Jesus, thank you that your blood has washed away our sins. Thank you that your sacrifice is what unites us. That in the cross we are all united to you by faith. We are united with you in your death. We've died to our old selves. We've died to our old way of looking at each other. We've died to the, the divisions of the world around us. And instead we've been united in you, in your death. And we've also been united with you in your life. Our hope when we eat the bread is that we actually are, we have new life in you. Your resurrection life, it, it, it courses through our veins. It, it gives us the hope of the life to come. Your resurrection life gives us hope for this life that we do not have to be conformed to the world around us anymore, but we can be transformed by your grace. So Father, I pray that we would have fresh faith and hope in being transformed. Being transformed by you because, Jesus, you have been made new. You have been raised to life. And our hope is that we are united with you in your life as well. That we are reigning and ruling with you at the right hand of the throne of God. That we don't have to be bound by the conventions of the world. We don't have to be bound by our own sin. We've been set free, so now we can walk in newness of life with you. So, Lord, give us joy in our communion. Lord, and would you enable us to extend that grace that we've been received to others here? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.